What's up, Stacy? I'm doing good, Alex. How you feeling, man? Hey, man. It's, it's good. Another uh, another podcast. I think this is uh, episode four. Yeah, episode four. Not like I can forget after three. Yeah, after the third one, right? Now, uh, we we got into some really heavy things in episode two and three. Yeah. Right? Non-monogamy. Yeah, non-monogamy, commitment, um, choices, what healthy relationships look like, all that good stuff. Yeah. But, you know, in the first episode, we did say we were going to do something along the lines of villainy, right? Well, well, you know, in our first podcast episode, actually, we talked about at the very end about maybe doing um, picking your favorite supervillain. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. last night, uh, to let all of you listening know, we both said, let's do it. So the cool thing is, I don't know your supervillain and you don't know mine. Nope, so. not at all. So why don't you be so maybe tell me first, this is your idea. Why did why did you think about doing a supervillain, you know, episode? That is actually a really good question. So um one of the things that I, I find that is really interesting to me is that everyone has like a favorite superhero, right? And it's a pretty easy like reason why So who's your favorite superhero? <sighs> the Flash okay. is like, actually my favorite superhero. Um, I don't have one. Really? Yeah. That's I, interesting. It's funny, yeah. I mean, I watch some of the Marvel-type movies. I don't watch them all, but I like them. But I just, I like the different superpowers. But, but I, 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 I'm, always, like the I'm never sure which one, you know, I'd want, you know, which superpower I'd want. I just, I like, I like them. But there's probably certain ones I wouldn't want. I mean, freezing people would be cool. <laughs> I think I'm fast, so I like the dude that's really fast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yours is um, mine is the my favorite superhero is the Flash. Okay. Um, Flash is fast. Yeah, like just super fast. <laughs> yeah, he's the he's your speedster. I'm, I'm very big on speedsters. I, I always thought that uh, it was cooler than you know invisibility or top stopping time or anything like that. Um, and I'm also like a really big history buff. So mm-hmm. if you're like a big comic fan at all, you realize that when you read like especially in DC comics, the Flash is like the pivotal character for saving the world most of the time. Whether the people realize it or not, everyone's like, oh, Superman, oh, Batman. Yeah, I hate Golden Boys. I'm sorry. I really, really despise Golden Boys. So, Golden Boy? Um, so, the Mary Sue, the one who is doesn't, infallible, you know, like, uh, that to me doesn't make a hero. Okay. I, I think Batman was Batman. Yo, no, Batman. Oh, especially the, the comics. Probably. Yeah, the, the new age Batman. Oh, okay. He's definitely, definitely very fallible. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Um, and I've always been very big on the idea of anybody can be a hero and anybody can be a villain, and I've always found that inadvertently, for me at least, and in, in like my research and whatnot, um, the Flash ends up like fucking things up inadvertently a lot of the time. And for me, one of the things I I like to think of and I like to talk about is like, hey. If you tell me your your favorite like hero, like I could probably tell you a lot about who you think you are. Ooh. Like, in all honesty, yeah. if you if you really think that if for example, the people who love Captain America and the people who love Superman, I love these people to death. I really do. I honestly have no qualms against them. But it's the golden child complex for me. It's like oh, too good. Yeah, too good. You yeah. you, you have this persona persona of being. You know, too perfect. too perfect, and that to me is not okay. Yeah, like yeah. it reminds me of like just people that are too religious, exactly. Too too righteous, yeah. Self righteous, exactly. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not really up for that. I got episode. it. Okay. So, in the same vein, right? Since my favorite uh, hero happens to be Flash, my favorite villain, 
happens to be Eobard Thawne. And if anybody knows anything about uh, The Flash, Eobard Thawne is Professor Zoom. He is the guy from the 25th century who ends up being so obsessed with being the Flash or, or studying the Flash and the speed force. So he's a nemesis? Yes, he's the arch enemy of the oh. Flash. Um, he's he's like the 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 negative speedster almost, right? This dude right here, right? Yep, that's him. That is All him. Right. I absolutely love this guy, and not just because his obsession and his idolization, because he starts off as a pretty awesome character. Really, he starts off as a scientist with a, a forensic mind who's very much he idolizes and admires the Flash at first, but the idolization. Due to his own knowledge and due to his own uh, belief system, ends up becoming the thing. The thing that he idolizes ends up becoming the thing that he hates the most. And that, to me, in in not just comics but in literature and in the grand scheme of like hero villain type deal, is like super super interesting. Like the thing you admire the most, the thing you idolize, you end up hating. How, how, like, twisted is that? But my absolute favorite reason for loving this character, man, and he's bald. Well, I know my dad's bald, but no, no, not because of that. Um, the actual reason I absolutely love this character is there's a scene in um, one of the DC films where the Flash goes back in time to save his, to save his mom. Upon doing this, he loses all of his powers wow. and changes the course of history. Bruce Wayne is no longer the Batman. It's Thomas Wayne. Thomas Wayne doesn't use, is not the goody two shoes Batman either. He uses guns and he kills people. Like he's very, very like no, there shouldn't be violence. And I'm here to exact righteous retribution of the worst kind. And this is all due to the fact that the Flash fucks something up. And it's funny because Eobard comes to this this point in history to him and he's like, huh. Look at you. Look, look at, look at, look at your fuck up. Right. And that's you. Think you're hot shit. Yeah, you're you think so you're good. hot shit. You think you're so good. And it's and he's like, what did you do? He's like, I didn't do anything. Well, and if I could just say, because I mean, we did talk about one aspect of this, which is what I think you're pointing to is how sort of like good be can become bad and bad mm -hmm. can become good. It blurred the, the lines get blurred. Like meaning he had good intentions. Yeah. Look at all these negative like you you wanted to selfishly save your mom. Yep. But did you think about all the other shit that was gonna happen because of the consequence of exactly. that? And so like how are you that good? Like it, on the surface it looks good, but in the fullness of the picture it wasn't. Exactly. I, I love that. You know, like that to me is just in in the fact that he literally comes to this dimension, to this time period, just to watch his enemy burn. Like, that to me is just like gold. <laughs> what the hell kind of name is Eobard I know, That's I know. Hilarious. It's, it's like pretty... Eobard. <laughs> and it's like the most... He got picked on so much as a kid with oh, that yeah. name, and that's why he became sure. a villain. Sure. <laughs> um, well, no, and you know what's interesting, and I mean, I can't wait to share mine, but I'm not going to at the moment, but because it's, I think you'll you'll love my villain. But uh, what's interesting to me is that it's almost like the villain is there to 
it's like we talk about shadow work. Like mm-hmm. it's like the shadow of the hero and showing the hero the necessary aspects that they don't have that they're missing. Like so in fact, the villain seems to be a gift to the hero if the if the hero gets it. And in fact, in my case, which we'll get to, I think the villain loves the hero, actually. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And I think no, the hero doesn't love the villain. <laughs> not in my case, not really oh, at all. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. But would you say your this Eobard Bond I mean, it sounds like it starts off as admiration, and 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 there's an interesting thing about like Eobard's character in that Eobard's character spawns another version of him, meaning there is a later version called Zoom, just Zoom, oh. who's another villain. Oh. And to your point of being the gift to the hero, Zoom's entire purpose, his entire mission statement is, "I'm here to make Wally West better." The second Flash. That's who Wally West oh. is. He's the Flash after Barry Allen is, disappears from history and is no longer the Flash. Wally West comes along and this new guy, um, I forget his name, it's like something Zolomon. Zolomon Zoom is his name, if I remember correctly. Yeah. And I know my, my nerds out there will definitely you know, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. But he, like, when he becomes the, the new reverse Flash, his whole purpose is... I'm here to make you better. Wow. Which is really, really like backwards when it you is. think about it. And it's like, wow, that's super, super. But it makes it makes sense to me. And uh, oh man, I almost can't hold back. Can't hold back. <laughs> oh, go ahead, go ahead. I definitely want to hear well, yours. Well, I think mine's kind of like really well known and popular. Like okay. yours is the opposite. Like I've never heard of this person, <laughs> but um, mine is the Joker. Okay, and it's the Joker specifically Heath Ledger's character in oh. the dark, in the in the Dark Knight. Okay, specifically that Joker, not any Joker. And and but I want to say before I get into that, um, I wanted to. Oh man, you, you just had me think of something. But I do want to say like it's funny because I wonder how many of our people listening are actually either comic book people like your crew is. Oh yeah, some of my crew probably is, and some people that I don't know that are listening to this. But like I don't know anything about. You know, Eobard. I, mean, I remember watching it as a kid. Um, but anyways, it's 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 fascinating. So the Joker is and that role, of course, Heath Ledger, it's just so good. <laughs> um, and I spent some time before you came watching on YouTube. They have a whole compilation of all the scenes of from the Dark Knight with the Joker. And I took some notes. And what I love, and there's a lot of um, overlay between your bad guy and my ally, maybe every villain. Because, you know, um, I th- I'm, it's hard for me to pronounce his name, but do you know who Dionysus is? Yes, okay. absolutely. So to me, the Joker is, and maybe the vil- the archetype of the villain are Dionysian type really? characters. Interesting. Because they're, they're here, because to your point, like, the Joker is in a world of order. Like, there are rules, mm-hmm. and there's order, and the Joker in The Dark Knight comes about to sort of, like, like slap people, being like, you know, too much rules. Not only that, it's fake. The Joker shows humanity how it's full of shit, and that's the role of the Joker, and that's why I actually think, sort of to your point, the Joker actually is trying to make the world a better place. In his own twisted way? Well, <laughs> well, 
No, but yes, but no, because the Joker is saying, you know, like your example, humanity, you think you're so good. All these people, you think you're so good. You know, you don't see the negative side of everything that you're creating. It's, it's horrible. And I mean, you could look at our modern society and say the same thing. Like, you know, oh, we're this civilized society, economics, we, you know, we're industrialized and we're uh, whatever. Oh my God, like I was reading this book, this amazing book you saw me reading in the coffee shop called Cradle to Cradle, mm -hmm. which is, uh, I forgot the author, two authors, but one of them is Bill McDonough. Um, and it's about how, um, this is what it says. It says, um, when we get something, like say this cup of this mug or this table or this microphone or this computer, he says, you're only seeing 5% of the materials that went into producing that object. Mm. 95% get used in the production process and all the capacities you know, that we don't know about to make it. So there's so much waste that to get this to our hands. And then he calls it, um, I think, um, then it goes to the grave. Like it goes from the consumer to the grave. And so there's this huge waste. So my point is, is that we think we're so good, but we're not seeing the full picture. And that's where like, I think the Native Americans talking about how we have to see seven generations and act seven generations ahead, thinking about how all of our actions are gonna influence things. So I think the Joker's here to actually make the world a better place. But let me give you some, some quotes um, that I got. And I almost wanna play some stuff on here. <laughs> I got some timestamps, but you know, there was a one scene where Hopefully a lot of you have seen The Dark Knight. I'm sure you have, but Batman's pissed. <laughs> and he's got he's on his little motorcycle and he's heading straight for the oh, Joker. Yeah. And what does the Joker say? Do you remember? Come on, hit me. Hit me, hit me, hit me, hit me. Hit me. And he wanted, and so what he was trying to do is he was trying actually, and it's like amazing because he was willing to sacrifice himself to get Batman to stop being Golden Boy. Yeah. Because he had been wretched the joker had been and killed people and all this stuff so he's like dude i want you to be to to, to like sort of go by your instinct to be to, to just be a full representation of a human being and stop being the golden boy oh yeah and he was willing to die for it because he was in touch with chaos and the dionysian dionysian kind of aspect of so chaos. you mentioned the Dionysian uh, aspect of chaos, and, and I'll kind of see if I can, correct me if I'm wrong, I'll, I'll see if I can, like, brush over it real quick. Yeah, so, please. if I remember correctly, Dionysus is the god of wine, right? Uh -huh. Now, he's not just the god of wine, but revelry. Um, he's the god of, of, of being in the fullness of the wild man. Right? In, in the fullness of, they, if I remember correctly, they call him um, the flesh-eating god at some point, the mad god at some point. Yeah, god, god of winemaking and fertility yes. and ritual madness, ritual religious, madness. religious ex ecstasy mm -hmm. and theater. Yep. So his whole thing is that balance of tension between the chaos. Can I even say, though, also, and I think this fits completely, breaking down duality. Mm. Interesting. Like there is like blurring the distinction between good and bad mm. because, okay. and, and you know what, this is what I was trying to remember something. Ah, I love that I finally remembered it. It actually, to me, works well with the whole Star Wars trilogies. The first Star Wars that came out, which was episode four, five, and six for the nerds. Uh, <laughs> I actually am old enough that I watched the original, not Star Wars, but the Empire Strikes Back in the theater when I was a kid. And I 
it was like that Matrix moment, but as a young kid, I was just like, I think I talked about this. Oh, episode. yeah. Uh, one, oh, yeah. My quote, but I was just like, oh, my God. But anyways, the, there was a real transition between that trilogy and then the, the next trilogy, which was episodes one, two, mm-hmm. and three, the, uh, the advent of Darth Vader. What I loved, because it was, what's his, Anakin Skywalker's yep. character? They portrayed Darth Vader for the most part as all bad. Of course, at the end, oh, there's good within him, right? And Luke was all good. But that this Anakin character um, was more complex. And so was, like, what I mean is, in the first trilogy, the real, you know, the first in the chronological order, the whole world they set up was not as black and white. Like, politics, like, you know, mm-hmm. um, like, the rebels weren't all good. The, um, the, the rest of the gang, whatever it was, the Empire, Empire, wasn't all bad. Emperor Palpatine... I'm actually not remembering the specifics, but that's the that's what it left me with. It left me with this idea that things aren't as simple as black and white. And that continued because even in the last movie, The Last Jedi that came out, um, uh, what was the scene um, that they um, – well, it – it's for me. Do you remember that movie? Did you I actually didn't see oh. that one. Oh, yeah, Stacey. I know, I know. Oh, I'm not a big Star Wars fan. Oh, Stacy. Nor Star Trek. Podcast, podcast, uh, yeah, podcast agreement yeah. over. We're done. <laughs> <laughs> We're done. Um, but but it really does point to a more complex um, good and bad thing. Oh yeah. And so that's that's so back to Dionysus. 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 Um, you were saying something that made me think of that. His, his whole idea of him being, you know, from ritual madness to revelry to the tension of humanity. Like, yeah, the tension. So breaking down duality. Yeah, breaking down <clears throat> that, that things aren't as, like, you know, even in today, in politics, we want to make one side, they're bad, they're wrong, mm-hmm. all of them are wrong, they're, we're the good guys, they're the bad guys. Mm-hmm. And that's what I love. It's like when that line gets blurred, like, are we, are we really all good? Are they really all bad? And you know what? I want to give a shout out because one of my high school teachers just passed away. Um, his name was, I forgot his first name. I think it was Ken McMurray. He was a soccer coach. So I actually was a, for a very short amount of time, a soccer player in the Seabreeze High School soccer team. But just a short aside, I was so bad. I was, I was, I was so bad, but on such a good team that we would literally be winning nine and nothing at halftime and they would still put me in because we were that good. <laughs> and so I got playing time, which is crazy. Um, he would say in our class, it took him for, I think, a, a government class, he would say, you know, might there not be some gray area here? Because we were, you know, in high school, we were talking about maybe the war in Iraq that had just started. And we, good guys, bad guys. When I was a kid, it was like Russia, bad, USA, good. And even today, but he was like, he just always challenged us like, to look, to be more nuanced. Like, mm-hmm. might there not be some gray area? May, mm-hmm. may things not be as simple as we're trying to make them out. And so shout out to Mr. McMurray, Ken McMurray, for being an amazing human being that taught a lot of us a lot of great things. For anybody that's uh, went to my Seabreeze High School, um, we, we loved him and he's a, a really great man. So, but, uh, but I think that aspect is what's really missing in this world. So we'll get back to it, but I think this all fits in with the, the villainy and the superhero and the and, and because their tension, right? Mm-hmm. There's a tension between the superhero and the villain, mm-hmm. right? So let me let me just I want to throw out a couple things. So hit me, hit me, hit me, right? Then there was another part when they're in, he's in jail, they finally get the Joker in jail. And he says, I don't want to kill you. You, you complete me. me. 
Oh, I hate that scene. Says, I love that scene he so says, much. <laughs> he says, the, he tells Batman, he's like, the moral, their morals, their code is a bad joke dropped at the first sign of trouble. Um, they're only as good as the world allows them to be. But when the chips are down, these civilized people will eat each other alive. And so that's what the Joker tries to show. The Joker tries to show in that film, that villain character, that it pokes holes and pokes at him, just like Dionysus, like making fun of him, like, bullshit, bullshit, I call bullshit. Like, you're not as good as you say you are. And if then the Joker creates circumstances to test them. So he did that, he did that with the with the ship where he had all the inmates on one ship, right? Mm-hmm. And then all the other people on another, and he put their lives at each at hand. And then one of the most amazing moments, I mean, and then maybe it shows me my own biases and stereotypes, but was when the big black dude, tough guy, he's like, give me the key. I know what to do. And he tosses it out. And he window. goes, and I'm thinking, he's going to kill him. And he goes outside and he tosses it because he's like, we're not killing that ship. Yeah. And, but to that point though, right? Because... I think that's something that I find very interesting. Honor among thieves. Right? Oh, yeah. Right? Because about that. one of the things that I, I think is really, really interesting about the villain is, and this is something that I think a lot of people have talked about in regards to, like, um, incarceration. Mm-hmm. If you have done an atrocity to a woman or you've done an atrocity to a child, nine times out of ten, you're not going to be okay if you go to prison. Because... Right. They will hurt you. Right. Inside. Yeah. And the guards are going to have to protect you. Like and that. That's it. exactly. And they're they, not going they to. They did that with Dahmer, who ate people. Um, mm-hmm. They. I am sure that they basically like, look, we'll give you special privileges if you fucking take this guy out, because there's too many people that were hurting too much. It was like, they, like it's interesting, right? Because it's so. Fa- this is so fascinating. You bring this up, and I thought about this. None of the people, the guards, the courts, they like maybe they tried, they didn't, they failed, but they couldn't kill him. But the funny thing is, is only a villain, only a prisoner could. Exactly. Only a prisoner could. Mm-hmm. But they wanted to kill him. The, the guards wanted him dead. All the other people in the world, yeah. all the people that were affiliated, all the communities, they so they tacitly, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, agreed to... Yeah. That Silence. happening silently, agreeing to mm-hmm. it, with but they couldn't do it. Yeah. So that, but they're willing to say, "Oh, you can dirty your hands. We can't. We can't. We're too high and mighty for that. We're too. We're too righteous." For so that. in fact, the 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 bad guy does something. What he fulfills a role that the good people can't. Hopefully everybody heard. They could feel my air quotes there. Yeah. But the good people couldn't. Mm-hmm. And it, it, so it reverses the lines Reverses the bit. rules and reverses the lines a lot. And that's one of the things I absolutely love. Like, I'll, I'll put in an honorary mention here because I feel like this, oh. is, this is really necessary. One of my other favorites, and this, this guy is not, he's technically a villain, right? He's, his name is Atrocitus. Now, if there's anybody who's a Green Lantern fan, the Green Lanterns are, are more than, you know, they're more than just the Green Lanterns. You have the yellow ring, you have the red rings. Well, Atrocitus is the leader of the red rings, and the red rings are rage. Now, his story is based on his entire planet getting wiped out. 
Oh, wow. And out of rage, out of grief, what does he do? He uses the blood of his people, the people that he swears to take vengeance on, or he swears to take vengeance on the Green Lantern Corps, but he uses those around him that he is vowing to get vengeance for in order to create this power battery to charge his ring. So much so that it tears up his insides. It rips out his heart. He no longer has a soul. He no longer has a heart, rather. Like, that tire, like, this, this yes, that dude. He's a badass looking motherfucker. Like, that to me, man. So much rage. I just see rage. Exactly. Nothing but rage. But it's funny how his love mm-hmm. for his people and his wow. planet turns into rage and grief and sorrow. And in that rage and grief and sorrow, he further further degrades and disregards his people mm. by just basically destroying his his planet, his home planet. He can no longer go back to. He has no family that he, whose grave he can go to and and, and cry over anymore well, and, because and that, he's utilized. And that that kind of brings up another point, which is like. You know, I'll, I mean, I'll just say this. Like, I haven't seen... Have you seen, ne- like, Return or Leaving Neverland, the new Michael Jackson? Mm-hmm. So, but you know what it's about, right? The people that, so. the people that, the kids yes. grown up that talk mm-hmm. about what actually happened and how they, he was molesting and sexually abusing children. And, um, uh, God, man, why am I just forgetting shit? <laughs> Sad. Um, okay, so hold on. You were saying... Crossless rage. Rage, 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 rage. Yeah, thank you. Okay, so um, we forget often that, you know, most child molesters were molested. And, like, yeah, we know that may be the statistic, but, like, you know, you know, like, Atrocitus was an example that, like, he had some horrible shit happen to him. And, like, the way, you know, he handled his trauma, of course, wasn't great. You know, and that's part of it. It's like the work, of course, through trauma is is inside, not outside, mm-hmm. right? It's about looking, doing that hard, vulnerable work of whatever the work is to, to heal ourselves, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I think in some ways, villainy and the people we call evil, you know, they, they're, they're traumatized and they've experienced some really bad stuff and some bad shakes and in life. <laughs> and um, they just don't know how to, they don't know how to handle it. And so, so it's a misplaced energy and emotions where mm-hmm. really it should be like, you know, trash should, like you said, he should have grieved. Like he missed yeah. the grieving, like instead of anger, you know, my, my, I went to school for psychology and they said underneath anger is always sadness, you know, mm-hmm. but it's hard to sometimes be with our sadness. It's hard to, you know, it feels weak or whatever. And so I feel like maybe too, as a culture, like we could have a little bit more empathy for the evil people, the, the villains, because, you know, we could just be like, man, you know, they're, they're just a little misguided. So to that point of like grieving and having empathy for, for the villains, one of the reasons I really wanted to talk about villainy was because I definitely want to, want to, you know, break down the, the duality of things. Yeah. You know, I definitely want to like, Ivar Thon, admiration, obsession, hate, mm. like that that progression. What does that progression look like? And what would the progression look like in the opposite direction, right? Like one of the, the things that I, I absolutely love about the comic book industry as a whole is 
nothing is ever set in stone. I love that about their stories, especially DC stories. Um, for example, one of my absolute favorite stories of all time is the Injustice series, hmm. where Superman kills the Joker. Why? Because, and this is the, this is the beautiful thing, it's his own damn fault. He has one weakness. What is his one weakness? Kryptonite. What does Joker do? He gets bored with Batman. He doesn't. He no longer wants to deal with bats. He wants to go after a bigger fish, the Golden Boy. How do you break the Golden Boy? Well, there's only one thing that Clark Kent loves more than anything on this planet, and that is his wife, Lois Lane. How do you break a man that has only one weakness? Make him. Destroy everything around them. Destroy what they love? And destroy what they love. But you can't do it. If you do it, he can still be the golden boy. If you are the reason, he can still be Superman. But if he's the cause of it, and he has nobody to blame but himself, then you've really broken him. And that's what the Joker does. The Joker takes one of the toxins from the Scarecrow, laces it with kryptonite, and then gives Superman his fear. He thinks that Doomsday is back. Doomsday, if anybody remembers the, the comics when Superman actually dies, the only time in like, comic book history that they kill off Superman wow. is during the Doomsday Chronicles. And Doomsday beats the living shit out of him. So what does he do? He flies Doomsday out of space because, oh crap, Doomsday is here. He's going to destroy the entire planet. He's going to cause so much destruction. Until he realizes, oh, wait a minute, this is my wife. And shit happens. He comes straight back and he just rips out the Joker's heart. But in that moment, you've broken him. You've taken him and turned him into a monster that he's been trying to fight all this time. And that, to me, I think is one of the, the things that is really, really fascinating about stories like this. Like, you can... When you put yourself in those situations, right? When you put yourself in those shoes, it's like, well, if I was a golden boy, how do I always think about how can I be in the fullness of myself? How can I be in the fullness of this thing without giving myself over to this thing or this role? And I think that's one of the things that is really interesting about like Superman, Batman, and these characters that have these these rules that they themselves cannot break. Well, that's totally what the Joker's about too, but what I want to say about that is, to your point, again, villains are there to show us that we're all monsters in potential. Mm -hmm. And they make us own that. So that's what I think in that example of like having him kill off whatever, you know, and then the example from, from, uh, from Batman with the Joker that I'm talking about is, there's this one scene where, again, they're in the uh, police station, and he's like, you know, Batman won't kill him. And he's like, well, this is a, this is your one rule you're going to have to break. Mm -hmm. And, um, but remember the scene where, again, it's, it's, it's very similar to what you're describing. Um, he hides, the Joker's guys hide uh, the woman that he loves. Yeah. And... What's uh, um, uh, uh, Harvey Dent? Very good, Harvey Dent in separate places, and he's like, you can only save one. Yeah. And then I think he gives him the opposite address because he's gonna because Batman's gonna save his woman. Mm. And but he but, but this that's, is but that's the thing. But what Batman is 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 fallible. That's one yeah. reason I actually enjoy Batman. Batman yeah. is actually fallible. 
That man will go after his woman. <laughs> yeah. So, but, but but I think the Joker tricks him, right? He switches the addresses, so he ends up saving Harvey Dent. Um. Anyway, um, that but that but coming to that decision, he the the, the villain sometimes puts the hero at a, an uncomfortable decision mm-hmm. that they're going to have to break their own rules. They're going to have to embody some of their humanity, their shadow side, that their their monstrous side that they don't want to own. And the villain's like, no, you will own this. And in the Joker's case, in this in this bigger movie of The Dark Knight, um, he wants humanity to own it, not just Batman, because he puts bigger things at stake, like on the ship, where, again, these two communities have to decide the only way they're going to live According to this is if you in like what they have like 60 minutes 30 minutes yeah. is you have to kill the other boat and so at the end of course even though it looked like the inmates were going to do it they didn't and then of course the other ship of the good people they were really wanting to kill because they're like hey the, inmate, the inmates are going to kill us we might we, we need to kill them first because they had stereotypes about the inmates yep. right yep. so they're like these people are monsters these people have already done so, evil so, but but the irony of course is that the good people were willing to sacrifice all these other people it's like the prisoner's dilemma mm-hmm. I mean, it, was, it was that in, in essence is what they created um but i want to ask you a question stacy sure how um what, what's his name eobard eobard mm-hmm. How does how how do you embody Eobard? Oh man, some of the, the the monstrous villainous qualities of Eobard. So, when I break down, in order to understand Eobard, you must understand the Flash, right? And I think that's one of the the key points of like understanding any superhero. In order to truly understand the hero, you must understand your villain. You complete me exactly, like you complete me that. That entire line, I have an actual story to, to share with you in regards to the Batman and uh, the Joker. But um, the thing about the Flash is the Flash never believes that he is enough. The Flash has a, um imposter's dilemma. Interesting. He, he never truly believes that he is a hero. He never, like... He never believes that he's a, he's up to enough, up to snuff with the big three, you know, Wonder Woman, Batman, and Superman. He's not like the Green Lantern, who is cocky as all hell. He he like I don't give a shit if you're the Batman. I don't give a shit if you're Superman. I saved the universe. You only got one planet. You only got one city. Fuck off. Like that's the way the Green Lantern thinks about things. Not Barry Allen. <laughs> Barry Allen is an accidental hero. He's constantly trying to live up to this ideal that he has in his mind. And Eobard is the exact opposite. Eobard is ego. Full-blown ego. He is the man who, I'm the shit, I know I'm the shit, and you can't tell me otherwise. And if you think you can tell me otherwise, I'm going to make sure that I can find a way of proving you fucking wrong. Like, that, I know I have a, a lot of that. You know who that embodies completely? Because using, like, a, a less comic-y reference, because, you know, whatever, is um, Black Panther, the villain mm. in Black Panther. 
complete ego, mm-hmm. completely like I'm shit. But it comes from, like you're saying, a lack of self-worth. Yes. And so he's trying to prove himself and, of course, is overcompensating exactly. for his feelings of lackness. Mm-hmm. For his, you know, because he didn't have whatever, I don't know. And, and that's like the thing about Eobard. Eobard's whole thing is, I admire this person so much. That's how it starts off. It's like this admiration. And then he realizes, oh, wait a minute, you're fallible. I can do this better than you. I know more than you. No, no. What are you doing? Why don't you just go back and do this? You have the power to. Why aren't you doing it? Because there's a response. And it always comes back to because I have a responsibility as a hero. That's what the Flash is. He understands that with all his speed, he could stop time. He could change time. He can do all these amazing things. But he has a responsibility to not do it, even though he has the power to. And he doesn't believe that he's hero enough, which is, what's, which is the one thing that makes him worthy. Whereas Eobard is like, I have this power. You aren't up to snuff to do all these other things, but I am. No, you're worthless. Get out of my face. And Eobard wants to get rid of him. He wants to become the only Flash. It starts off as admiration. It sounds like jealousy. Yeah, it starts off as admiration, and then it becomes this envy and jealousy and this obsession of proving to Barry that he's not enough. That you're not good enough. You're not fast enough. Well, I think, you know, it's interesting to see where this comes into the world, like our world, right? Mm -hmm. Because I think you see it a lot, like, I mean, even within myself, right? That's the the better example, obviously. But that people people don't feel like they're enough. And so they're out to prove it to whoever, Mm -hmm. their dad, their whatever, to society, to their teacher. You know, you always hear that, like somebody got successful and they're like, my teacher told me in fourth grade I would amount to nothing. So take that, Mr. Whoever. Yeah. You know, and like, yeah. but like, if you think about it, it's kind of sad because their whole life was driven by this, like, I have to prove someone wrong, you know, I, I to, to validate myself, mm-hmm. you know, which is kind of sad to me, honestly. And, and the, to go back to the, to the question though, uh, like, oh, yeah. how do I embody it, man? Like, there's, there's, and if we're talking about shadow work, if we're talking about, you know, the merits of, of villainy here. And so can you explain what shadow work is to people? Uh, so when we talk about shadow work, we're talking about the full acceptance of, or, or at least in my, my own personal definition, the full acceptance of who you are and where you are. Even the, and especially the parts that we don't yeah, want. Even the parts that we don't like and the parts that we, we despise about ourselves. Yep. And I know that for me, I have a very, very, very big ego. Like, when I say a big ego, man, like, you can't tell me I can't do anything. Like, that's just not going to happen. And if you try to tell me I'm not going to do anything, like, fuck you. Like, I'm going to do it anyway. It's funny. Me and my wife were really, literally just having this conversation the other night. She goes, you have this look when you want to do something rebellious. I was like, do I? (laughs) She's like, yes. Yes, you do. (laughs) Well, it's funny because this is like, this is like, and I'm discovering this because I don't know you very well. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, you know, we're, we're still way definitely in the early stages of getting to know each other. But this is like probably what brings us together because we are so similar in some ways. And I'm the exact same way. Like, you can't tell me whatever. You cannot tell me. Like, my friend tried to tell me that I couldn't basically play at a high level of poker. And I'm like, oh, really? Oh, really? What? All right. Let's fucking see. I'm going to go toe-to-toe with a professional poker player and I don't care if I lose I'm gonna learn and I'm not scared and I'm not scared I'm not gonna be scared and I'm not gonna play cautiously because if I want to get that good 
I have to play the best or at least people that are better than me. And so I'm going to, I'm going to risk it in order to do that. And so, but don't tell me. Yeah. And, and I think that's the, the interesting thing about it. Lee, that was for you, by the way. I, you know that. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta call you out. <laughs> there's, there's a interesting thing in that though, I think in, in terms of when you look at your dark side, when you look at your, your, your shadow, you look at the things that you kind of, and I won't say that I despise that about myself because ego has, has its place, mm -hmm. right? Like, and you need to be, I, you need to have a, a certain humility about you in, in terms of the way you carry yourself. Mm -hmm. But you great quote that I recently heard um, or read. It's like, there's love that tells me that I am everything. And there's wisdom that tells me I am nothing. Between those two banks is the river of my life. Like, when I read that, man, yeah. I was like, that's it. That's that's what I'm talking about when I talk about ego and being able to have a balanced ego in much the same way because that's the two sides of the coin for me with Flash and, and Professional Zoom. Right. So you're trying to – what I hear is you're actually embodying both mm -hmm. and you're actively you know, incorporating both into your being, which I think is really honest. It's really like real and honestly, I think that's what you know we should be doing. Like if we look at all – because right, you can't have – you can't have the hero without the villain, but ultimately they're outward expressions and outward representations of like an inner thing. And the inner thing is we have to incorporate both aspects of ourselves into within ourselves mm -hmm. to be a full human being, to be able to um, respond to life in a complete way. Yes. yes. And so that's what, and that's, and I, and I hear that's partially why you like oh, comic man. books. You like the tension that is is there, mm -hmm. but again, it's an external representation of something that really happens on the inside. Yes, yes absolutely, hundred percent, man. And um, looks like you have another question for me, real quick. If no, you, but, you, but you want to? No, no, but okay. Well, is there any other ways that you embody? Like, is there anything else that you can say about? Like, I want to hear that. I want to hear the stuff that you're not. Like, it's ego to say, maybe it's easy to say I've got a big ego, but like, is there anything a little harder and more vulnerable to say about oh, this man. other superhero Eobard that like isn't so easy to share of the shadow side that you also see within yourself? Manipulation. Oh, like, and when I say manipulation, um, one of the things that Eobard does is he constantly lives in the past, meaning he's from the 25th century. Right? But he's focusing on Barry Allen, a 21st century hero. He lives in the past. He, he wants to manipulate the past. He wants to change the future by manipulating the past. And for a very long period of my life, I was in a space where I didn't look forward. Like now, a lot of stuff doesn't bother me simply because I'm like, well, it happened already. Why should I care? Like, you, I don't understand why you're upset about this. It's already happened. So, Get I'm just, like, I'm going to keep going this way. Yeah. You know, like, there's no reason for me to cry over the spilled milk. It took a while to get to that point. Mm -hmm. It took a, a very long time for me to be like, well, I can't change the past. Yeah. But I would, I would, for example, I'll, I'll use a, one of my, my, uh, old relationships as an example. I used to put like these weird fucking like stipulations on 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 apologies. 
on, on saying you're sorry. Like, I don't, I don't care if you say you're sorry to me, bro. Like, don't, just don't do this shit again. I don't care. Like, no, I don't need an apology. Do not apologize to me. Actions. Yes, actions. If you apologize to me, I'm going to become more upset now than I would have if you did that like 10, five, five to 10 years ago. Because for me, it's like, bro, like, it's already done. You've already done the hurt. I'm not going to sit up here and try and negotiate with you the weight of your words. If you actually give a damn and if you actually care, you'll just change your behavior for me. And we'll move on from there. So how does it have to do with, you were saying manipulation is one of your shadows. So that, that whole manipulation piece is when, when people try to say sorry to me, when people try to, to uh, reconcile whatever hurt had been you know, dealt, I'll have all these wild-ass stipulations. Like, oh, well, if you, if you're really sorry about it, then I need you to, you know, spin around 15 times and jump up and down on one leg while patting your head, like, prove it. Yes, that, prove it. Like, that to me is so extremely fucking manipulative because if we're, especially if we're talking about healthy relationships, right? If we're talking about how in order to be a healthy individual, you have to take full responsibility for you first, Right. Like, that whole prove it deal is, I need you to do something. I need you to do something. Yeah, I need you to do something. Like, no. Like, that's not how reality works. That's not how real people are. You're responsible for you. Exactly. I'm responsible for me and my own emotion. So, while you may have caused some type of hurt towards me, ultimately, I'm the one that's responsible for my own healing, not you. And if I put that in your hands, I'm going to get hurt anyway, again and again and again. Because whatever stipulation I put on this, you're not going to be able to live up to. And I know that. I know that about me. <laughs> and man, is it, when I look at relationships, including some of my past ones, manipulation and, and people I know, and really, manipulation is such a nasty thing oh, that so many people do in subtle ways and not so subtle ways. You know, like tit for tat, and like I in my past relationship, and one of them, I used to like if she was happy, then I would sort of be a little bit miserable in order to bring her down. Like, oh, you don't get like you made me unhappy before, so now you don't get to be happy. I'm not gonna let you be that happy. I'm gonna be sour. I'm gonna be a sourpuss, mm-hmm. and then you're gonna have to become crawling to me yeah. and find out why I'm so you know why I'm so sad. Right, why and I'm then so when sad. I was happy, she would do the same thing. And yeah. it was this Horrible cycle of retarded, ridiculous manipulation. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I get it. Yeah, that's, that's, that's like my, my my biggest one. I would say manipulation right. is. Yeah. Granted, on the flip side of that, you know, there's a and going back to using the analogy of Eobard in, in the Flash. Mm-hmm. You know, Eobard lives in the past. He he lives in that manipulation place, yeah. and <clears throat> the Flash doesn't live in that. He, he, he knows what his responsibility is. Flash fr- forward. Yeah, right? Like, his, his whole responsibility is to that, is to the present moment. Mm-hmm. It's to the now. Yeah. It's to the future. It's not to the past. I have no responsibility to the past whatsoever, and yeah. I cannot manipulate that. So since I cannot manipulate that, I must be. Yeah. And in that being, I must do what I can now. And that, to me, is a... It's hard. Like, it's extremely hard, man, especially for, for, for someone like myself, who is high, 
really highly like heady. Like my I think far more than I speak. You know, so someone and I remember things. That's the that's like the other thing. I remember a lot of stuff. So if you say something to me, it gets locked into my brain. Whether you want it to or not, I remember shit. And I'm just like, oh, okay. And I'll stay quiet because it's like, well, for like, I'll use a, a really, really like great example. I hate the word soft. I absolutely despise the word soft, especially when it comes down to boys, because I remember it being said to me in anger, like an intense anger, like, oh, people told me I was too soft on you. Like, why the fuck you care about other people's opinions? Why are you worried about that? That's what the, the emotion builds up in me. And because I know that about myself, because I know I hold on to stuff like that, I have to be very, very, very conscious about, oh, let it go, let it go. Right, like, you could be like a ticking time bomb. Exactly. So why be in that? <laughs> you know, yeah. like that's my responsibility. Nobody else's. All right. So you want to turn it around on me? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. A hundred percent, man. Um, and... So, there is one story I want to hit you with about, um, because I think you really appreciate this. Uh, in one of the DC comics um, or films, there's a, I think it's the last laugh or the final joke or the last joke or some shit like that. Nerd friends, please help me out. Anyway, the end of the, end of the film, there's Joker and the Batman. Batman has just beat the Joker to, to a bloody pulp. And then finally, he just kind of stops. Joker's on his knees, and he's just like, man, why do we keep doing this shit? Like, like, I don't get it, man. Like, why do we keep going back and forth between us? And the Joker tells him a joke. And he says, you know, there's these two mental patients uh, escaping the hospital. They're on the roof. One of them jumps across, puts a plank down, has a flashlight. He's shining it on the plank. The other one is on the other side. And he goes, come on, come on. He's like, but what happens if you turn off the light? Now, these two men crack the fuck up. And when I mean they crack the fuck up, they die laughing. Mm -hmm. But when you really think about the joke, it is so sad. Two mental patients, one of them's trying to help the other. And the other one just says, but what happens if you turn off the light? Mind you, there's a plank between the two of them. It doesn't matter if I turn off the light. I already put down the tools necessary for you to get across. So it doesn't matter. I'm, I'm still helping you. The light isn't necessary. One of the things that I thought was super interesting about that is because that's literally Batman and the Joker. They both know that they're in the insane asylum. They both know that one of them knows that the other one's always going to seek the help. The other one knows that this is never going to happen. I'm never going over there. Man. And it's that one moment in, in the entirety of comics for me that like painted the full picture of you complete me. So for me, um, one of the like major questions that I always like want to ask you when you talk about the Joker and the bats is like, what is it about this insanity that is not just appealing, but is also like, what, what resonates with it for you? 
Like, what part of, like, especially after hearing a story like that, like, what part of that dynamic between the Joker, between, like, the, the rigged rules of Batman and the chaos of the Joker, what about that is so, so resonates so, so deeply with you? Um, that's a good question. I, I would say that I grew up trying to be the golden boy. Mm. I was raised to be the golden boy. Um, like I said, in I think episode one, my dad gave me how to win friends and influence people. And I was being sort of trained to be a business guy and make money. And I rejected that because I just thought it's empty, you know, mm. um, not fulfilling and just kind of like a waste of a life to pursue like that money. Um, uh, so yeah, so I started off as wanting to be the golden boy and I guess it was a slow progression to my villainy. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I remember in, in grad school for psychology, um, I was at university of West Georgia, which was, has a transpersonal and humanistic psychology program. Really cool. And I took an independent study with my one of my favorite professors there, Eric Dodson, and I read Nietzsche, and I read the book "Thus Spoke Zarathustra." Okay. And in this book, Nietzsche basically talks about there's three stages that people go through or can go through. The first stage is the camel, where you're just like bearing the load. You're the yes man or the yes woman. You constantly say yes. That's how you get self-approval. You, you're scared of ruffling feathers. And that's that. A lot of people even stay in that stage. The next stage is the lion. The lion is the no. Kids go through that stage, of course, at age two-ish. But as adults, a lot of people don't because it means you're going to maybe lose friends. Like someone says, like, hey, will you help me move? No. <laughs> and I went through a stage because of that book. And there's a third stage, I mean... The third stage I'll say first was um, the third stage is basically the yes, the, it's the baby, according to the archetype of the baby, but it's, um, it's a real yes. Whereas the first yes, the camel said yes, 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 but it wasn't real. They weren't, they were scared to say no, or they weren't in touch with themselves to know whether they were really feeling a yes, or if it was just like, I'm a doormat. Mm -hmm. The third stage is once you can say no, you can, once you've gone through stage two and you say no, it frees you up to have that when you say yes, you really mean it because you can say no, because you can say no, you can now really mean it and say yes. And so I went through, I had been a camel. I had been, I'm scared. I'm, am I cool with everybody? Like that was my thing. It was like Cuba Gooding Jr.'s, uh, did you ever see that movie? Um, it's called Instinct with Anthony Hopkins and um, Cuba Gooding Jr. And it's about um, this guy that, that lives with the, uh, the gorillas, yeah. the apes, and then gets captured because he becomes like part of the ape family and he goes into an insane asylum. And, um, they, and at one point he basically, he being the Anthony Hopkins that was captured and Cuba Gooding's a psychologist. This movie, by the way, is incredible. I think it's incredible. Yeah, I saw that one. Yeah. It's been a while since I saw <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah, and so, um, but Cuba Gooding 
was trying to be, he was the yes man. He was trying to be good with everybody. Am I good with professor, this person, this person, this person? And it's exhausting. So I went through a stage because of this independent study with, this is an independent study with this mm-hmm. professor and he just gave me shit to read. And then we'd get together, I think it was Thursday at 1 PM every week. And we would just talk about what I read. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to go through this lion stage. I'm going to say, no, I went on a mission. I'm going to say no to everything and everybody for a period of time. <laughs> and then I had roommates and they're like, will you do the dishes? No. Like, I mean, it was, it was ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, I was just like, because I, but I needed to go through a stage like that to be free. And so that was my villainy stage. Mm-hmm. Um, and I needed that to give me the balance to be a full human being. And so that's kind of um, my progression into today was owning the side, the selfish side of me. Um, the, you know, I think for me to be in my vulnerable self would say the hard, the hardest part for me to own is I'm very sensitive. And because of that, especially as a dude, as a man, as a guy, whatever, it's not okay in this world, or at least it wasn't 25 years ago to be really emotional and sensitive as a guy. Mm. And so what I ended up doing is repressing that part of me and holding it in which of course does not work and because it comes out horribly eventually. Um, And what I've had to do is go through some really messy, messy situations, many, many, many of them where I got overly emotional and I let it out. And I, and I put that in air quotes, overly emotional because I was just, being with what was. And so I would just allow myself to be the insecure, uh, angry. I mean, I'm trying to like, you know, the words that come to mind are a lot of like, you know, cause I got teased for being a womanly guy, like, like, Oh, you're just being, you know, you're, um, what's, I don't know what terms come to mind, but so like negative like, shit, like, like soft and soft and emotional, emotional, and sensitive, and yeah, um, girly, girly, a pussy yeah, to be like stuff. real. Right. So, so like, you know, and and that keeps a lot of men from exploring a whole other side. So what happens is we become stunted as men because we're scared of the, like, you can't get to a place where you're comfortable in your full self. I think, I mean, maybe you did, but I can't, I didn't, unless you're willing to go through a messy stage Hmm. where you show your emotions because we live in a world where like women can do that because it's more acceptable. I mean, maybe we get, we are like, Oh, they're being emotional, but it's still more acceptable for men. Like I said, we're, we don't, we don't want to go there because we don't want to be labeled as a pussy or as girly or as, as soft or all these things. And, um, but what I realized for myself was if I wanted to be a full human being fully expressed in all the best ways, I had to be willing to go to those places that I didn't want to go. I didn't want to like have those parts of myself be revealed. Mm-hmm. And so I did that and I've gone through that and it sucked ass. It was bad. It was not fun, but I've done that in many cases. You know, I'll give you one example. That's really like the most embarrassing kind of for me. 
when I was in college, I had a, my first kind of girlfriend. And one day I was um, an RA, resident assistant, and we're all like at lunch. It was like the end of the year, we're graduating, or well, we're finishing the year. And she happened to sit next to a guy that was in an RA and he had done the um, ROTC. Mm-hmm. So he was in great shape. I'm like this puny guy, scrawny guy, whatever, um, skinny guy. And she's across the table sitting next to him. And during lunch, so I don't know what the conversation, but all of a sudden she grabs his bicep and she said out loud, Alex, why can't you have a bicep like XYZ guy? Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you, I, in that moment, was mortified, destroyed. My manhood, I was emasculated. I just shriveled up. But I couldn't go there. That was, like, so painful that I just went to full-on fury. And I didn't say anything. I just, like, literally wouldn't look at her for the rest of lunch. Then I drove, so I wouldn't look at her in the car. And she's like, what's wrong? And I'm like, I couldn't even tell her because... I think the hardest thing is when you're hurt by somebody else, it's a double vulnerability to admit that they hurt you mm-hmm. because you're opening them. You're especially as a man, because I think it's much harder for men because then you're showing your weakness. Like as a man, we're like supposed to be impenetrable. And so if I show you that you pierced my armor, I'm admitting that I, my armor is pierced, that I'm impenetrable, that you can wound me mm-hmm. and that, and that it hurts. And like, that's something that most men, at least in my era, do not want to do. And so it's a double vulnerability to be like, you just said something that hurt me a lot. Now, I kind of did say that, but I bring that up to say that as a really like poignant example, at least to me, of like, okay, so like, how would I, how would I take that now? Here's like, let's look at it like as the evolved role, I wouldn't... (laughs) Like, I'll be like, yeah, he's got big biceps. Like, you know what? You want to date him? Go for it. You know, like, that's cool. Like, I'm not date. I'm not this person, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm not this person. So if you want to date that person, go for it, you know? But, or I could be like, look, um, afterwards, I might be like, look, you know, you, you have a problem with, like, the way I look? Like, is, you know, like, because if you do, like, okay, that's cool. Like, you know, maybe we shouldn't be together, you know, if, like, if that's important to you. You know, or or just a joke, and like I would just take it as a joke. You know, one 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 or the other. Like if I felt like she was serious and she was passively aggressive, aggressively saying it because she felt like I was I wasn't enough for her. You know, I would be able to I think stand in that. I would recognize that that's her shit, not mine. Like it's that she wants something, but that's not on me. Like I don't have to feel bad because I'm not enough for her. That's your that's your thing. Then go find, go, 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 go on your way, you know? But I, but I think, um, anyway, so that's how I've evolved with respect to, to that. I can take a pause there because I'm just talking forever. (laughs) I got more to say, but yeah, go ahead. I I think that's interesting. And I really think that in, to the point of vulnerability, especially in men, and kind of on the the soft point, the, the things of, you know, name calling and et cetera. That is not just extremely prevalent, but I think that's one of the, the great things about having fallible heroes. Mm. Like that's the reason why I enjoy having characters that and reading about characters that 
get hurt and and do get wounded and are just men because ultimately they're only human, right? Like, and 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 I think that's one of the you and I have talked about this before. We've we've talked about uh, you know the philosophy of stoicism. One of the philosophies of stoicism, and, and I'll use uh, one of uh, one of my absolute favorite heroes of all time. He's favorite? an anti-hero. We're talking stoicism. Yeah, we're, we're talking, talking stoicism. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take I'm gonna take a nap. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So real quick, one of my favorite absolute favorite characters of all time is um, Seneca. <laughs> yes. Well, Seneca is absolute one of my favorite uh, stoics, but the Punisher. One of the things that uh, in one of the episodes of The Punisher on Netflix, they, his uh, partner in crime says, you know what that is on your chest, man? It is a memento mori. It, it's, it's, not for, it's not to scare people. It's not like Batman's bat symbol where he's out there and he's greater than you know just the man that he is and he's a symbol. No, 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 no. The skull on the, the chest of The Punisher is a memento mori. It is meant to remind him, you are only a man. You too will surely die. Like, that, for me, is what makes, what makes it easier to be emotional. But, when I say emotional, I think one of the things that we, we misinterpret as men is, especially young men specifically, is that we equate emotion emotion with being out of control yes which isn't necessarily true there is a way to be righteously indignant there is a way to be um be full in your emotion but tempered to be measured in your emotion to be to under to address it and understand ah okay i feel anger oh i feel sadness i feel grief i may need to cry right now Okay, I'll cry. I also know that I still have things that need to get done. For example, I'm ex-military. One of the things that they tell you is, hey, why do you, like, the drill of when you're in the boot camp, they have you jump up and down, up and down, up and down, hit the floor, hit the deck, right? Hit the deck, up, hit the deck, up, deck, up, deck, up. This is to get you in the habit of, if there's gunfire, you hit the floor. You don't go anywhere else. Why? Because you're trying to keep your life alive. Like, you're trying to keep yourself alive. The only thing you've got is your body. Like, we don't want you dead, so gunfire, boom, you hit the deck. So they would constantly have this whistle. It didn't matter where the fuck you were. Like, you could be in the bathroom, bro, and they will whistle. You would have to hit the fucking deck. Like, it was annoying, but it got you into a habit, right? Now, why do I bring that up? It was not just, hey... If you hit it, because it was, it started off as hit the deck, but then it went from, oh, so-and-so just got shot. Go deal with it. Uh, uh, uh. So now it's putting you in the mindset of you have a job to do. So your best friend might get shot in front of you. That's terrifying. That is, is gut-wrenching. But you have a job to do. You don't have the time to be emotional right now. You don't have the time to start crying. You don't have the time to grieve. You got a job. If you are fast enough, you might be able to save this fucking life. Stop being in your emotion right now. Look at me. What is the what is the thing that you need to do to make sure this wound doesn't go septic? What is this thing that you need to do to make sure that this wound doesn't 
Go, go, go. Don't sit here and just look at me and just tell me do it. That's what they would get you in the mindset of. So having gone through things like that has definitely helped with, with things like being emotional and understanding where to place your emotion. But if I, I, I honestly believe if I hadn't gone through any of that stuff, if I hadn't read some of the things I've read, if I haven't you know, studied some of the things that I've studied, I wouldn't be in this place. So I, I agree 100% with you on, like, we as men, especially young men, don't have the, the width to be able to be, quote unquote, emotional, you know? And because in our, in our brains, we equate being emotional with being chaotic, with being out of control. You know, um, it makes me think of quite a few things, of course, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it made me think of, huh, and I've got one, but, uh, like, are there any characters from movies or archetypes or villains or and not villains, but people that represent the integration of both the hero Ooh. and the villain? So the person that comes to mind for me is Yoda. Really? Mm-hmm. And, um, Yoda, Yoda to me is, is like a complete thing <laughs> thing person no uh mossy entity little dude and um there's a scene from the last star wars which you have not seen but you need to and, it, and i don't care i'm gonna say it anyway it's too bad for you because it's been that long so you should have seen it but no there's a scene where luke and yoda are hanging out sitting of course yoda's dead but um and appears and looks like fucked it all up. You know, I was supposed to train people and I failed as a teacher. And then this, uh, whatever her name is from the new, the new hero, um, that is the new Jedi. Um, he's like, I failed her too. Uh, because she got mad because at one point Luke almost killed Kylo Ren, the bad guy, the new Vader, because he saw the dark side within Kylo Ren and was like, shit, it's like almost like if you could be in a room with like a little Hitler, like literally mm. Adolf Adolf Hitler, and you saw into their soul and you saw blackness, and you're like, I'm gonna kill this motherfucker now because I know what this person's capable of. But I, but but so Luke had that weakness for a moment, if we're gonna call it a weakness, saw Kylo Ren's soul and was like, I gotta kill this person, and for a moment was going to go there, but then thought, I can't do that. Right. Because it's almost like what, what gives you the right to end this person when they haven't done anything wrong yet. And so he, Luke had to tell the, this, the, the heroine, this new Jedi, that it's true that he did have a moment of weakness and almost killed Kylo Ren because, you know, that was what Kylo Ren was telling her that look, you know, and that shows the sort of inner villainy of Luke, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and what Yoda said to Luke as they're sitting down chilling as the, as the Jedi palace was burning because they're like, you know, you don't need this, you don't need this palace anymore. He said, look, the most important thing that you can teach her are your mistakes. Mm. Whoa. (laughs) Yeah. I knew you'd love that. Yeah. And like, to me, that really struck me too. I'm like, wow. Like, because right. That's like. The piercing of the armor mm-hmm. is like showing that you're fallible was the biggest thing 
that you could teach her because so that she can learn from your mistakes and not think you're infallible. That's the, that's the, that's the problem we have in our current world of like gurus and pastors and rabbis and senators and powerful people in powerful positions. We treat them with too much, too much respect. We treat them as too infallible, the Pope, right? Everybody. And because of that, we don't get to learn as much as we can learn. So if they would be less infallible and showed more of their humanness, like the skull metaphor you were just saying, you know, it teaches us then to be, that it's okay to be fallible too. It's okay to fuck up. It's okay to make mistakes. Then once you've made that mistake, own it, take responsibility for whatever harm has come from it and move forward. And then you've become that whole being that I think is what we're really trying to get yes. to. But again, it's an inner process. It's an alchemy that happens within. Oh yeah. And that's where, you know, we don't get to see that process in very many people. Um, I think that's also why we like seeing our heroes fall in this world because we like, because they're too high. Let's knock them down. <laughs> yeah. Let them, let them experience being on the earth and then incorporate both of those so that they can be a whole person that we can relate to, that they're not just this out of touch person or this golden boy or golden girl. They're real. They've experienced and they can connect with some of the, the real tragedies of life and, you know, and put that into perspective. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I agree with that hundred percent. I think that is a, yeah, like that's, that is our society right now. Like, we like watching people fall. And that is, I think it's kind of ironic in a way, um, because we want these people, we want people who, we want the Batmans, we want the Supermans, we want the Golden Boys, we really truly do. Like deep, deep, deep down, we want somebody who, when they say they're gonna do something, they're gonna do it. And it doesn't matter what the consequences are, they're willing to die behind it. Like, we want that. But we also understand that people are human. So it's like, ah, you can't be this good. You got some dirt somewhere, motherfucker. I know you do. Like, and we do that because we build up this kind of, that's how people build themselves up now. But, you know, I think a part of the reason we do that is because we're not living out our fullest mm. lives. We're, we would rather look at a hero or a leader because it's scary to stick out. It's scary to put ourselves out there as having a gift or a talent or an ability that would make us maybe different. Mm -hmm. And that's my biggest qualm with this whole society is that, and this is like my whole sort of thing is that in life is to be the fullest expression of yourself, but it's fucking hard to do that. And which is one of of my quotes, I think I said episode one was that E. Cummings quote, which is, there's nothing basically harder in the world than to be yourself, mm-hmm. like a unique self. And so part of the part of the problem is we're the problem because we're creating and putting people on pedestals because we're scared to live out our truest life, to really step out of the the norm because stepping out means now we're at risk of people feeling insecure around us and trying to like that whole crabs in a crab box, which if one crab, you know, tries to get out, they, they, they yank them down because, you know, it's that who, who are you to think you're special, you're badass. But the real, 
the real reality would be, no, we should all be fucking crab and getting out of that goddamn crab box. You know, that's what should be happening. So there's like a double responsibility. I think the community is very responsible for, for taking people down because we're not, we don't have the, the, the guts to really live our life. That's really interesting. I have a point to that actually. Um, let me see if I can remember it really quickly. So the point I have to that is uh, there's a, a scene in, in the Punisher. Punisher is actually like, when I talk about heroes, Punisher's at the top of my list. All heroes, Punisher's at the top. Why? Because this man is literally willing to do anything to get the job done. It doesn't matter that your justice and your laws state that this person should be on, put on trial. You know what he's done. Why do you have to send him to trial? He's a bad person. Pull a bullet in his head and be done with it. That is his. That is how the Punisher rolls. He's, he doesn't have any second questioning like, yeah, I know what I do is I'm a murderer. I understand that I kill people. That's what I do. But I don't kill bad people. I only kill the people that do horrible shit to other people. That, so what, what's wrong with that? You were gonna, just going to lock him up anyway, or he was going to get off because he's got the money to get off. I don't do – I do what you don't have the guts to do but want to do. Exactly. I do exactly that whole entire point. Like, and one of the scenes that I absolutely love is um, he, he comes back to his, his little crew, and they're like, so, they're like, so they're, uh, they're like, where the fuck have you been? I went to go talk to my wife. And his wife is dead. She's in the grave. And he's like, yeah. Um, and you know, what's, you know something, man? I realized that um, I've always been like this. Because they keep trying to tell him, like, you weren't like this when your wife was around. You're just a grieving man. Just grieve for a little bit. Stop, stop going out and looking for a war. Grieve. Be a man for a second. And he's like, no. No, I've always been this man. I've always been this monster. You know what the difference now is? My wife's gone. That was the only thing keeping me in check. And you guys don't realize that. And the only reason that I was able to be happy was because she loved me anyway. She loved me even knowing I was a monster. And... Going sort of back to, you know, the non-monogamy monogamy piece about how we talked about, you know, I don't want someone to just love me solely. I want somebody to love me fully. That's the reason why I, I say, you know, the relationship with me and my wife works so damn well. It isn't because I'm, you know, this great human being and, you know, I'm like some awesome dude. No, 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 no. It's because, hey, I am fully able to be who I am. In all my nastiness, in all my fucked upness, in in all my pettiness and rebellion, like I am able to do that. And she loves me any fucking way for it. So to your point of like people are afraid of that. Like at the at the end of that that whole scene, they're like, So what do you want us to do? He goes, Let me be what I am. Like, just let me be what I am. If you can't job with that, if you're not okay with it, you don't got to love me. You don't got to follow me. I don't give a fuck. Just let me be who I am. You be you, right? Yeah. But, like, you know, like, I bet it, the beauty of the thing with your relationship, too, though, is, like, 
when it's when you can be everything and you can be all out on the table, well then you can deal with shit too. You can deal like if there's part of you that you see is hurtful, mm -hmm. you know, you might be like, well, shit, like I want to start to look at changing that mm -hmm. and see where that's coming from. And you know, that's I think that's good. So it's like getting that's why I say it's the messiness of life that is really where the gold is because. You can't get – to me, you can't get around the messy. Like if you're going to – like we're all fallible as you said, but we could all get better. We could all improve our, you know, whatever. So like but, – but to do that, we're going to have to see some ugliness mm -hmm. and we're going to have to face the ugliness, you know, and it's okay. But that's the thing, right? It's not okay for a lot of people. They don't see it as okay. Yeah. Our society tries to say it's not okay. Be a golden boy. Be a golden girl mm -hmm. and, and, and don't – don't let that ugliness out, but that's the wrong thing. It's the opposite. You gotta let the ugliness out. You know, even to like, even when we look at you know mythologies and, and legends, like the gods are no are no benevolent creatures, man. Like one of the things I love about like Greek history and like Roman like history and mythology and things like that, man. Like Zeus, Jupiter, Hera—they're all petty. <laughs> like they're all petty, just backbiting, horrible people. Like. This man cheats on his wife daily. <laughs> you know, like, that's who Zeus is. He is a miser. He is a cheater. He is a lecher. He does not care. He wants a woman. He's going to have her. That's, like, his vice. But Hera loves him anyway. And she blames the women, not him. And that's her thing. Her thing is she doesn't put the blame on her husband. Even though sometimes she does and she, you know, gets at him for it. But there's constantly... This, the gods can be these amazing benevolent creatures, but even in that, you have all this pettiness. But, but the, 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 the sort of the, to challenge that though, I think there's the other side of that though is it, you could also use that as a manipulator. Mm -hmm. And you know, well, I'm just being me. Oh, yeah. Well, you know what? Fuck you. Oh, yeah. You know, like, well, then, and then you're right. I mean, at, at some point, say the wife, Zeus's wife, whatever, or a real wife, could be like, well, if that's you, then I don't want any part of that anymore. And that's cool too. You know, the problem, of course, is when people hide it. Yes. That's the problem. Like, if you, you know, if it's really you, then you shouldn't be hiding. But I want to bring up uh, something I just thought of, which I, I'm sure you've seen, but like, I think it's maybe my favorite actually combination of hero villain in a sense in the modern age, which is Unbreakable. Ooh. Okay. I think like, like Samuel Jackson and really? Bruce Willis, right? Okay. Like, um, I, because remember, Unbreakable Samuel Jackson's villainy character is is trying to get the hero. Now it's kind of like by any means, so he'll create a train accident to find out, and he'll kill as many people as as necessary in order to find the one dude that survives that is a hero that doesn't know it. Mm -hmm. So it's like their ways are wicked, right? And so I don't agree with them, but he has like a good intention. Because he right, he's like, hey, you got the superpower. Now go after all these people that are murdering people and luring them and take take them out. And mm -hmm. Essentially, be a vigilante. Oh yeah, and that's what a lot of, of course, villains are. But they're vigilantes. But so in this case, that's what Bruce Willis's character is. I don't know. I, I just thought that was just it. Just came to me that it remind reminds me of uh, those two characters are really interesting together. I think that is. I think ultimately though, that's what it's that's what it's like though, right? In order to be in order to, to come to a fullness of self, right? You have to be willing 
kind of touching back on the piece of manipulation and oh I'm just being me like you have to be willing to to say okay who am I what am I where am I okay now based on that am I okay with it if I'm not okay with it can I change it if I can't change it what can I change right so these are all the questions that you go through in order to get to the fullness of self and recognize okay I don't like that I love this. I hate that. And then putting things in boxes and categories and, and working towards it. But in that uh, in that whole process, it's like you have to be willing to lose shit. You have to be willing to, it's like you said, you have to be willing to sacrifice the relationship in order to have a relationship, right? Like you have to be willing to sacrifice what you are and who you are for what you want to become. Yeah, and I think what I, what I mean about that is, is too, that if you, willing to lose a relationship to me means you got to be your real self. And if your real self means risking the relationship, well, then maybe the relationship needs to die. Because if you have to hide your real self to make it work, then that's bullshit. And if being who you are kills the relationship, then that's not going to work either. So yeah, it's, it's a tough risk, but really, if you if you can't take the risk or if the risk is going to kill it, then you didn't have a relationship to begin with, you know? And unfortunately, I think a lot of people fit in that box, meaning a lot of people are not really being themselves. They're not fully expressed. They're hiding who they are. They're like we said in a previous episode, they're sort of um, fragmenting or separating compartmentalizing. Their, compartmentalizing their lives. And it's like, eventually that shit's not, it's just going to obviously eventually like we know it's almost like mathematics. It's like, two lines maybe start to parallel lines start to separate a little bit but if you extend that out for another you know 100 miles eventually they're going to be miles you know miles and miles and hectares or whatever apart yeah. and so it's just it's just a matter of time you know eventually yeah. eventually but i think i like that idea though of in order to if you want to be your full self you're going to have to become the vigilante you know, you're going to have to become, you know... For a like, period of time. Yeah, for a period of time. You like, have to be that person willing to... Or if you're a vigilante or a villain, you got to play golden boy. Yeah. You know, like, because there's probably a golden boy within you, uh, a sensitive side, let's mm -hmm. let's say it that way, right? For example, the one that you gave at the very beginning of this episode about, um, about oh man, like one, of the, one of the villains that was hurt, but like couldn't... couldn't couldn't be with their herd, mm -hmm. right? So like, because that's gonna be emasculating and that's what villains need to do, right? That's their hard work is they gotta go to that sensitive place, be a mess, yeah, you know, have to be sensitive. and be, feel like they're, you know, like own the fact that they feel like they're not enough because that's the only passageway to get to the other side. There's like, mm -hmm. there's no like, there's a word, have you ever heard of spiritual bypassing? It's a cool phrase. It's basically like the spiritual bypasser will just try to pretend and fake that they're on the other side. That's just not going to work eventually. You can't fucking bypass that shit. Eventually, you got to do the work. And, I'll, and unfortunately, a lot of people would rather fake the work than do the work. Mm. Mm. Are we still on topic? I, I, think we, I think we ultimately are because, you know, like... Ultimately, our podcast is about the primary relationship, right? The primary relationship being self. Primary relationship being how you, how are you going to deal with you? Yeah. And I think 
we can use so many different metaphors in talking about that. And I, I personally like the concept of metaphors because I feel like they're pretty simple for people to understand. Like, hey, you have the hero, you have the villain. Duality. Easy, right? But in that duality, what if I push the villain to this extreme? Like, one of my favorite fucking, like, funny, like, little quotes in, in DC um, comics, there's, like, a DC Marvel crossover, and the Joker is working with the Red Skull, who happens to be a Nazi, right? And when he finds out he's a Nazi, he's like, oh, no, 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 I'm American. <laughs> and punches him in the face, you're like, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. But you're the Joker, you're supposed to sow chaos. But it's like, no, I still have certain values and morals, man. You know, like, there's something that every villain has that they will do, like, the good thing. I use this example all the time with people. I say, you know, Hitler saved a young girl because her birthday was on the same day as his, right? And she was Jewish. That's in the history books. You can go look that one up. Say, like, say that again? Hitler pulled a girl in her family out of a concentration camp because their birthdays were on the same day. Wow. The man who murdered millions upon millions of people. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, that, not I'm, I'm not, not, I'm not like, wow. No, like, no, you know? I'm, but it's, a, it's the narcissism. Yeah, it's yeah, that narc narcissism. Yeah. And it's like, hey, well, but can you deny the good? It's like the Schindler's, <laughs> Schindler's List mm -hmm. where uh, one of my favorite scenes is when um, Schindler teaches the, the really nasty Nazi guy to pardon people because he's just killing people left and yeah. right. He's like, no, if you're really powerful, then then you have the power not to kill them because you're like, I pardon you. So he started practicing it. Mm -hmm. He didn't look in a mirror. He's like the, the little boy was in, was cleaning his bathtub, Jewish boy, and he didn't do a great job. Mm -hmm. And so normally he would just fucking kill him because he's got another 10,000 boys to choose from. And he's like, and the kid's looking at him like, I'm going to get fucked. I'm getting whacked here. And he's like, I pardon you. <laughs> Which makes no sense. And then he practiced in the mirror. But of course, do you remember the scene? Mm -hmm. Then about 30 seconds later, the kid's walking about 300 yards away and he sees shots being, and then they, he basically changes his mind and kills yep. him. Right. Yep. So, you know, but you know, um, there was, there was, I want to bring out one thing about Batman's transformation in that movie. There was a scene where, you know, Batman's getting tough and he's, he basically lifts the guy up, the bad guy up, uh, one of the mob guys. Mm -hmm. And now Batman's up on like the third on the roof and he's got this guy suspended. And the guy's like, well, you're Batman. You're not gonna, you know, cause Batman's threatening to let him drop unless he gets this information. Mm -hmm. And he's like, well, I'm not telling you because I know, I know your morals. I know your rules. You're not gonna let me fall. And guess what? Batman lets him fall. Mm -hmm. And that was like, to me, like a sort of a transformation in the role of Batman. Because he was like Joker was having an influence on him. He was integrating his shadow side. So I want to ask you, um, and maybe this is like our part to close on starting to close, but um, how, what would you say to the question of like, how do people integrate their shadow side? Oh man. And you know, how do you, but like, how, how, what, what are some steps that you could give people or some tips in terms of that? So I, I'll, I'll go back to, to my comic book here, uh, villains and heroes, because those are, are the ones I love the best. Right. Um, and like I said, I, I think those are the easiest for people to understand. So atrocities, right. Full of rage. Um, then you have, uh, Eobardathon full of, full of ego. And I'm going to speak, I'm not, I'm, I'm only able to speak from my perspective. Um, as a 
young black man growing up in Miami Gardens, Florida. You know, a lot of people know it as quote unquote the murder gardens. So I grew up in a place that was quote unquote very violent. I didn't experience a whole lot of violence in my life. Um, I can remember like waking up in the middle of the night and hearing gunshots, but never having a bullet go through my window. So I live very close to certain things. And I remember being angry a lot of the time as a kid. And when I say angry, I'm talking, and it still wells up sometimes. I'm talking like full on body shaking rage. Like my my fingers are digging into my skin, blood stripping down my knuckles. I'm ready to knock somebody's head off and I can't explain to you why, mm-hmm. right? There's a place for that. Um, that that type of anger is. I, I remember it so vividly. There was a there was this kid that we used to that I used to wrestle with. Not a very good dude. Like not very good on the floor or on the mat. Just real shitty in terms of like technique. I'm not, I'm, I'm and like we're only like what sixth grade. So you know we're I'm not I'm thinking oh I'm better than this kid. No ego. I remember I had a really bad fucking day. And I get this kid in an arm bar. I can feel him tapping. But I'm not stopping. And it's not until his arm is almost fully extended that it dawns on me. Because I got like three other people going, he's tapping. I'm like, oh, now like, oh, now. Years later, I could be in any sort of sparring match and I won't get upset. It doesn't bother me. I have no time. Like when I step into the ring, I'm in the ring. Whatever is outside the ring is outside the ring. I don't give a shit. Like, I could have had the worst day possible. If we step onto the mat, that's not coming into the ring. But knowing how to tap it and open that up, I had to learn. Because after that moment, I was never the same on the mat again. Like, and when I say I was never the same on the mat again, I was too timid. Because I was afraid of, what if I get angry? What if I hurt somebody? It wasn't until years later when I started boxing back when I got into the military that my, and and I love this because (laughs) this guy, I I forget his name, um, but it was my, one of my chiefs at the time. And I remember him going, dude, what's wrong with you? He's like, how much you weigh? I'm like, eh, like 170. He goes, you weigh 170. You're like five, what? 5'10", like, oh, I'm almost 6 foot, 5'11". He's like, all right, cool. So you weigh 170 pounds. You're going to be bulking up, right? I'm like, yeah. On the way to be making about 185 in probably like the next month and a half. Like, Why do you hit like a bitch? Exact words. Now, military, he's a chief. I can't really like come out the side of my mouth and be like, ah, oh, man, fuck you. Like, I can't say that. Like, this is what I'm thinking, but I can't say this to him. He's like, I know you upset. 
You come down here literally every single fucking day and you beat on this bag for two and three hours at a time. Why do you hit like a bitch? Like you are hitting the bag as if you're scared. What are you afraid of? The bag's not going to hit back. You wouldn't be down here hitting this bag that long if you were actually putting in work. If you were actually utilizing what you got inside of you right now. And I know you're upset. Like, me and you talk all day, nearly every day. And I don't get it. I was like, oh. I hadn't dealt with that. I hadn't dealt with the fact of being afraid of hurting someone else. Because when you're in middle school and you realize exactly what you're capable of because you've been taught certain techniques and you have people that are looking at you a little sideways now because you didn't stop when this person tapped, it kind of paints a picture of who you are to your own brain, right? So it took me a while to integrate that type of anger back into myself. And it's not anger at the person, right? It's not because I, I want to hurt this person. It's because in order to be effective in understanding that I am training to defend myself, I can't be timid in the defense of my body. If I'm timid in the defense of my body, I'm still going to get hurt. So when I throw this punch, I need to make sure that I am throwing this punch. If I'm... If you're going to attempt to do bodily harm on me, I need to make sure that I can protect myself. So when I do this, it needs to be with full intent. That full intent, I came to understand as tapping into my own anger, tapping into that, that quote-unquote darker side of myself, that ability to hurt someone else and knowing I have the full capability of hurting somebody. I just need to let loose and be okay with letting loose. And be okay with the idea of my hands and my feet are weapons. Like, that took a long time to, like, come to grips with and be okay with. And I think it's a little bit different when you don't have, like, that sort of background to, to figure out how to integrate the things that you dislike about you or the things that you're afraid of about your personality or your own self. Um, because... I had a physical, I had a physical representation of it. You know, like when we talk about the external being a representation of the internal, you know, heroes being the external representations of whatever their internal struggles are. Like I had that, I had a physical representation to, to actually, you know, analyze within my own life and within my own experiences to go, well, that's the thing right there. That I'm afraid of. I'm afraid of, of being, I'm afraid of being viewed as just another angry black dude. Mm. Right? Yeah. I have to carry that with me constantly. But in carrying that with me constantly, I have to understand just because this may be a pre preconceived notion of me, it does not actually, it isn't me. It's just a preconceived notion. It's just an idea. I don't have to allow that to be who I am. However, if need be, <laughs> if, I, if threat and harm comes upon my person or 
or someone I care about, I do have the means necessary of protecting myself and them as well. And I need to be okay with that. Because if I'm not okay with that, I'm not going to be able to do these types of things. I won't be able to be the shield and, and, and the sword that, I, that I've been training myself to be. So that's how I started with my integration. And we've discussed, you know, at length, you know, the physical to spiritual path that I've taken. Well, so it sounds like realizations, like helped you with yeah. that, like in seeing like how you were being, like you were someone else, like you're in this case, your commander is showing you that you were, you were holding back. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, sometimes it takes that, that mirror that through another person yes. that shows us how we're being because we didn't really see it until that point, you know? So I, I, I get that. Um, you know, for me, um, it's funny because we've been talking about this, but uh, I haven't talked about it and I hadn't planned on talking about it, but, and yours is like way more, I don't know. I've gone through other stuff, but I'm going to bring up, this is just one example. I've been playing poker lately mm-hmm. and I, like I told you, and I've been playing against recently, even some pros um, for some big tournament stakes. And I realized that I play scared and how that comes across is I might you know, without going into how poker works exactly. If you don't know, you don't know. But I had the best hand at a certain stage of the hand, although it can change. And I would bet, like, I've got something, because I did. I might have the top pair, which I did. And somebody would bet, raise me a lot. And all of a sudden, I started doubting. And what happened was I would fold, and I would fold, and I would fold. When I had, and I told my friends what I had, and they're like, dude, you know you're probably folding the best hand and they're just punking you because, and the thing is, and poker, like like how, if you might've heard this, how you do one thing is how you do everything. Yep. And so that might be, it's like a hesitation, kind of like what you were saying for yourself that like, and so other people, especially in this game, this kind of sharp, each sharp game, poker shows you who you are, how you are, they're going to exploit that. And so, and I'm not, I'm not on the other side of this yet, but what needs to happen though, for me to get to the other side is I'm going to have to take a risk. I'm going to have to risk sometimes everything to show people that they can't push me around on the poker table. Because if once that they realize that they can do that, they're never going to stop and they're going to just push with anything. And I have to be willing to take the, even if I lose, because at least then I show they're going to get called. And one of those times I'm going to have it, even if they, and sometimes they're going to get lucky. And so, yeah, that's just a short example, but I think it's like, you know, we're talking about examples that are representative, risking the relationship to have one, Mm -hmm. you know, for you, you know, protecting yourself and, you know, you know, you had to develop um, some kind of like the ability to decipher, you know, you know, you have to develop Mm self-control. So, you know, you're not, like you said, you're not bringing in, like you were unconscious on the mat with that sixth grader. You weren't aware that you were bringing that anger in. So you were unconscious, which means that shit can happen that you didn't plan. And that's the truth with all over maybe your life, but all of our lives. It's like really the only damage that really can be done is when we're not conscious. We're not present. We're not conscious of what's going on. So I would say the shadow work for me is just to be more present and more conscious with what is. 
what are my emotions right now? What am I scared of right now? What am I not dealing with? Mm -hmm. Because once I can get in touch with that, then that provides me an opportunity to respond to life and not react to life. And as you know, you know, that's a big distinction of the warrior. The warrior, the true warrior, doesn't just react without understanding. They understand that their their inner emotions, they understand what's going on inside of them, which then gives them the ability to respond to the situation and not react. Yes, 100%. And, and, you know, Bruce Lee said one of the coolest things. He said that he trains his body in such a way that it can react to any situation, you know? And I think that's really cool. I think that's like, we, we're all, we can all be on a grander scale martial artist in a sense of like, prepare yourself for anything, but prepare that you can react and you can flow with whatever's going on, you know, what, whatever it is and prepare so that you're kind of thinking about it, you know? Like I had a friend, he was a motorcycle driver and he said that he drove his motorcycle always thinking that in the mountains and in areas of of Georgia or he was actually in Connecticut, he said, I'm thinking there might be a baby crossing the road at that time. So he's, he's fully engaged, fully focused, knowing that behind any curve, you never know what could be there. So can you, can you be forced? Can you have foresight to think about that? And I think we could use that metaphor for everything. You know, the warrior prepares for life and prepares for anything. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, I, I agree a hundred percent, man. I think that <clears throat> that is the the major distinction between you know the the hero and the warrior. Like if we're if we're talking in, in the realms of the archetypes of you know warrior, magician, lover, king, etc. Um, the hero is is the person who believes they have the limits, and I think that was like the the realization that I that. That helped me with that integration uh, very heavily. So, you know, that idea of being unconscious, not knowing what I was bringing onto the deck, realizing I need to be able to tap into my own aggression in order to be effective, and balancing the line of whatever I have that I'm dealing with personally doesn't have to come into this room. Um, that is a, a, a distinction that is still really, really hard to make, even in something as simple as going to work, right? Like, this isn't the day job. So when I'm at, when I'm podcasting with you versus when I'm at work versus when I'm at home, what do I compartmentalize? What do I bring with me? What do I leave in certain places? Like, I can't bring the bad interaction that I have with the customer home to my wife. That makes no sense. She isn't the problem. You know, she wasn't there. She doesn't have to deal with that. She shouldn't have to deal with but, but I do want to say, though, there's a level of even knowing that that's there for you. Some people are carrying that shit back home, but they don't even know they're carrying it. And that's what allows them to take it out on their yeah. spouse or whoever. Exactly. It's like you first have to have that self-awareness of, wow, I am fucking pissed right now. Know why you're pissed. And then you could separate that from your wife mm-hmm. versus if you didn't and you're just carrying the anger but that happens all the time. Oh, so yeah. that's where I think a lot of it is. Oh, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. 100%. And like, it's like a, a, if I'm talking specifically on integration of the shadow, right? Um, it all comes down to that awareness, ultimately. It all comes down to, okay, where are you right now? Where do you want to go? 
well, where are you? Who are you? Who do you want to become? Where do you want to go? Those are like the questions I ask myself constantly. And it's like, hey, I'm here in this moment. I'm here in this moment. I'm here in this moment. Is this going to be beneficial for the next thing that I'm trying to do? No. Okay. So does this serve me? Does my anger, does my ego serve me right now? No. And those are, those are like the questions that I always come back to. And it's always kind of funny because it's my two favorite villains happen to be, you know, villains that are deal with pride and villains that deal with, you know, rage. And those are the things I struggle with. Well, the funny thing about this podcast episode is like we were trying to be light. Oh, yeah. We were trying to be real light. <laughs> and... I, I, again, I, I mean, it's funny only because also it's, it's, you know, it's not just about light or heavy. It's about real and it's, you know, life is both, you know? I mean, mm -hmm. I think hopefully we, hopefully, I think we were light with some of the, uh, the cartoon stuff and like we had, I had fun, but, uh, but you know, I think, um, I think it's cool. You know, I think it's cool. I got, I got, I feel like I got definitely something out of this. So I, I appreciate I it. So. Yeah. I hope so. I hope like I didn't scare anybody off with some of the nerd, stuff. Nerd. I know, no, no, like, nerds. We gotta, we gotta, like, now I gotta go research like all this yeah. like uh, these cartoon yeah. villains and if, if go you back. Guys, if you guys are really in the comics and you're, you're gonna be going to watch Endgame, are you gonna be going? To watch I don't know what you're talking about. What? Oh, Alex! You gotta, you gotta Alex. help me, help me, help me! Oh, <laughs> you're my only hope. You'll, 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 you'll spread it, but you gotta watch Return yes, of the Last true. Jedi. This so you know we got homework. All right, so we both got homework. So we we. Do we know what we want to do next episode? Do we even want to... You know, I'm kind of liking the idea of sticking with some of the things that we've already touched on. I think that um, the next episode might be around more of this sort of idea of villainy, more of the idea of going back into the shadow work more deeply. Uh, something a little bit heavier, specifically the shadow work. See, I was thinking maybe, which relates, but the magic or magician, king, warrior, lover... Yeah. Book, that, that would book actually be a really, really great topic, actually. Yeah. Because we mention it so often, so that might actually be. And I've read some of it, but I could finish it probably before next week. And then I think I think for all of you listening, there's such good stuff in there about like toxic masculinity versus you know real masculinity, and of course this world that's a huge topic right now. So mm -hmm. so maybe. Absolutely, maybe. maybe. Stay tuned. Yeah, stay tuned. Maybe we'll. Yeah, and I've got and I've got an idea of how to end our podcast. Oh, oh. I, I'll, I'm just going to cue you, and I think you'll get it. Um, hold on, hold on. Wait for it. Wait for it. Slow is smooth. Smooth is fast. Bam. Hell yeah.